I would be remiss to not acknowledge Derek and Carol. Congratulations on right there on your wedding about a week and a half ago. And they're still smiling, so that's a good sign. Give them a year. Give them a year, okay. <laughs> if, I were to, if I were to say, some of us will get the coronavirus and some of you won't, what would be the next question? Who is us and who is you, right? Um, we're going to come to a place in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and there's going to be an us, and there's going to be a you. And what the us's experience and what the you experiences are very different. See if you can catch it. Good. Let's follow along with me. So I read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Paul writes... For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith. According to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Did you catch it? Not too difficult to catch some us and you. The one in verse 12, death is at work in us. 
but life in you. When Paul talks about us, who is he thinking of? When he talks about you, who is he thinking of? That's what we're going to try to figure out. Um, we need to redraw a map that we kind of drew last week. I'm going to divide this room, okay? And I'm not going to make anybody get up this week. Maybe. Um, let's let this side be Israel. So you are kind of toward the west. You guys, you are in the Roman Empire, okay? So you're the Gentiles, and you're the Jews. Now we have to further subdivide you guys into three. Uh, this is the north, and that's the south. You guys in the north, you guys are, you live in Galilee of the Gentiles. It was the, the northernmost tribes, and you guys are seen as kind of second-class spiritual citizens. You really don't care as much about the rules as they do in the South. By the way, you guys in the South, you are the ones who live in the vicinity of Jerusalem, and you are in the hub of religious activity, and so you really care about the rules, and, and you really dot the I's and cross the T's. Uh, you guys in the middle, I have really bad news for you. You are Samaritans, and you are hated. So, um, well, what ends up happening is um, this is important because God apparently, when he thinks about how to express what he wants to you is going to use some of the Jews to do that. Now, he won't use the ones in the south, and he definitely won't use the Samaritans. The one he uses are the ones in Galilee of the Gentiles. And so what ends up happening then, this was God's purpose, that when Jesus came, you guys are not going to buy it. You guys in the back, you're, you're going to look at Jesus, you're going to see the miracles, you're going to go, mm, I'm not convinced, I don't get it. Um, he doesn't seem like God, he's not smiting anybody, not blowing anybody up. Um, you guys in the middle, again, you guys kind of don't care one way or the other. You guys in the, you guys in the front, you are the guys in Galilee, and you are the ones that, you, you look at this, because Jesus comes from where you came from. He lives up in your neck of the woods. The Sea of, the sea of Galilee, that's up in the north. And Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. He was born in up where you guys live. What ends up happening in the early church is you guys from Galilee, you're the ones who get booed and get booted out of Israel. But you know what you do when you get booted out of Israel? You end up going over to where they live. And you live alongside them, and they learn about what you know about Jesus, because they don't have the Bible, but you do. And you guys are the ones, when you go, when you live with them, you guys are going to, if you guys, those of you who go to the churches where these guys are, are going to learn things you never would have learned without them. That's kind of the way this whole thing works. Um, and just so you know, you guys are the jars of clay. You guys are the jars of clay. Let's see what that means. Look what it says. Romans 15, it says, it's in your worship folder, Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness 
in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, in order and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. We, we learn two things here. Pretty straightforward. Uh, Jesus came to serve Jews, and Jesus came to save Gentiles. And those are the things. Look what it says. Jesus came to serve Jews. And it says, Christ became a servant to the circumcised, the circumcised to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. God promised you guys, children of Abraham, this is what he promised you. It says in Genesis 12 that the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What God chose to do through Abraham, he's going to bless you guys, and he's going to do it through you guys. That's what we learn here. Jesus came as a confirmation of the promise. It had happened a long time before, probably, I don't know, a millennium and a half. At any rate, um, Jesus' coming tells us that God has not forgot his promise to Abraham to bless every nation in the world through you guys. This might cause you guys to feel left out. Well, why did he choose them? Jesus came to serve Jews, but the reason he came as well is to save Gentiles. Look what it says. Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. That has to do with you. Here comes you guys. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. The reason he chose them is so that you guys would end up saying, oh man, I see God's mercy and it is unbelievable. That's, that's God's purpose. Jesus came to serve Jews, but he came to save Gentiles. This is what Paul is getting at in this, um, in this portion. What it says, verse 5. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 5, 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not for us. Clay jars were put to a wide variety of uses in the ancient world. They were mass-produced. They were throwaway containers. Everybody used them. They were fragile. If you tip them over, they break. But that's not a problem because they are cheap and expendable, and you don't have to care too much about them. If they get tipped over and you break, you just get another one. They're pretty cheap. Uh, God entrusts his treasure, and we'll talk about what that is, to fragile containers, to jars of clay. What is this treasure? We're going to see the treasure is when God gives us things, he tells us about himself. Since understanding who God is and what he promises is the key to eternal life. I'm going to say that again. Understanding what God says 
and especially what he promises, is the key to eternal life. That's what faith is. Faith gets rooted in promises. Eternal life is given to those who place their faith in God's promises. Since that's the case, would you not agree with me that God's promises are very precious? And they are treasure. They lead to eternal existence. What it says, God puts, transmits his promises, the treasure, into jars of clay. Um, it says it in God who said, in verse 6, light shine out of darkness. Let light shine out of darkness. What does that sound like? Let light shine out of darkness. Sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? When God said, let there be light. You know, the only thing about this is, it is translated here, let light shine, but it's really future tense. So what it is saying, not let light shine out of darkness, but light will shine out of darkness. And that's not what we find in Genesis. You know, we find it, though. We find it in Paul's favorite book, the book he quotes more than any other book in the Old Testament, Isaiah. And what we find, there is a passage in Isaiah that says that light will shine. Look what it says in um, Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. It's in your worship folder. Um, This is what it says. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. By the way, that's you guys. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali is in the north part of Israel. It's not in the center. It's not in the south. It's not in the north. So you guys live near the Gentiles, and most of the really religious people look at you guys and say, you guys just are not as holy as we are in the south. You don't care as much at any rate. Uh, It goes on to say, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles, which is where you guys live. It's surrounded by Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. What Isaiah predicts is that God is going to shine a light in Israel, It won't be in the south. It won't be in the middle. It's going to be in the north. In Galilee of the Gentiles, he's going to shine a light. And you know what it's describing? Jesus. Jesus was born in the north. And so in Jesus, we see God's face reflected. We hear what God says. We see God's promises more clearly because Jesus came into the world, into Galilee of the Gentiles, and that's what uh, Isaiah predicts. Uh, The light would be transmitted to you, and what we're going to see, it will be trans 
transmitted through you. Look what it says in Isaiah 50, 59. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord from this time forth and forever. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. When God's light came through Jesus, not everyone in the north of Israel believed. But those who did believe ended up understanding what God was saying in a clearer way. And what Isaiah talks about, when God's spirit influences someone, they know God in a way that they didn't, and they have ways to describe what they know to help other people. The reason why God puts his spirit in you guys who believe is so that when you go to them, you will have spirit words to say. We tend to think that God speaks, God's spirit kind of is just out there somewhere. And that he kind of, God streams spirit influence directly into people's minds. That's not what we hear here. When God spreads or streams influence, what he does, he finds and chooses individuals that he calls out to receive spirit influence. Now, when you guys understand the message and you go over to there and you remain with these guys, the influence what the words that God gave them, you end up hearing. So spirit influence ends up hitting you guys when you guys go over to them and you remain with these guys, you know what you guys, you know what happens to you? You are influenced by the Spirit as well. Um, so God placed Spirit words in Jews to transmit them to Gentiles. Um, by the way, and we're going we're gonna to land on this. This, every once in a while, it's really, it's, it's good to kind of work your way through parts of the Bible. What we're talking about, it feels, eh, why, why, really, why do we need to know this? We'll land on this. This feels, biblically, really important. Really important. And we'll, we'll look at why. Um, Paul, when he talked about remaining, what he ended up saying to Gentiles is, if you remain in me, in me and you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So remaining with Jesus, you know what it meant in the first century? Remaining in the places where they were. Because they understand some things. And Paul then helped you guys know some things, so when you went over to them, if you stayed in the place where these guys are, you would end up seeing God through their eyes. And that's why the biblical word is remain, not receive. It's remain, not receive. It's to stay and to keep on thinking about the things that God is saying. 
That's what a disciple is. A disciple is somebody who learns. And, and so that's why Paul was really, that's why it, it was very important to him. Uh, so Galilean Jews are jars of clay through whom God would bless the world. And so, you know, they paid a price to do so. And so there's a free gift, but the postage and handling was very costly. And those who received these spirit words and went into the Roman Empire to reflect them, they paid a price for doing so. Um, what it says in verse 8, it's what Paul describes. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. God transports the treasure of the gospel via clay jars, and the clay jars got battered in the process. Afflicted, baffled, persecuted, knocked down, but not restricted, not to the point of despair, not abandoned and not terminated. He says, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Death is at work in us, but life in you. Can we answer the question now, who is the us that Paul talks about, and who is the you? Who is the us? You are the us. Death is at work. You guys had to leave your neighborhood and your livelihood. You had to leave your the people you grew up with to embrace a message that you were persecuted for embracing. So you packed up and you went into the land of the Gentiles where you weren't fully accepted, but the reason you went there is because you were jars of clay into whom God placed a priceless message that you would bring over and bestow into them and us. And it's really why we know what we know about Jesus. The us are Jews, Galileans, and the you are Gentiles. Paul is describing the cost of the postage and the handling. We talked about this before. When there, If I'm the owner of an estate, and say I have enough money that I've land and property, what I would do is I'd have a bunch of servants, a bunch of servants, and so I would want then to um, give things to the servants, and so what I would do, I would choose servants whom I would designate as stewards. Stewards. And what a steward would do is when I had something to give to I had something to give to, I'll call you servants, and I'll call you guys stewards, okay? If I had something to give to them, what I would do, I would give it to you. And I would hold you responsible 
to take these goods and give it to them. There's a responsibility on your shoulders. Jesus did a parable. Listen to this parable. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Here's what Jesus said. He was meeting with his disciples. And Luke 12, just listen. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Let's talk about a master who went away. He gave responsibility to the servants to be stewards, to give stuff to the servants. And what it's saying, blessed are those, and I come back and I find you guys awake and tending your duty. Blessed are you. Listen to what he goes on, though. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service, have them recline a table, and will come and serve them. When you serve them, what it's, what it's describing, when Jesus comes back, you guys are going to sit at table. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to serve you. God is not unjust. And this is for anything. He will never forget anyone's love when they serve others in his name. God will be no man's debtor. And that's what it's describing. He goes on, though, says, um, finds a way truly, I say to you, he'll dress himself for service, have them recline a table. He will come and serve them. Listen, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are the servants. You guys are still at it, still giving the goods that you've been given to give. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. Here's what Peter said. Um, Jesus, time out. Are you saying this story to everyone or just to us? Are you talking to servants in general or stewards in particular? The disciples understood that they were stewards. And here's the way Jesus answered the question. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household? to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Jesus answers the question, are you telling this to everyone? Are you speaking to us as stewards? And what did Jesus say? Speaking to stewards, he says, this is for you. Those disciples, and Jesus goes on, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him into pieces and put him with the faithful. Um, is Jesus saying this to all of us? You better be awake when he comes. If you're not, if you're not up and awake, he's going to come and cut you to pieces. Is he speaking to everyone? That's a good question, isn't it? Who is the us and who is the you? You know what Jesus is speaking to? You guys. He's speaking to those who had embraced Christ, to whom he gave the responsibility to steward this treasure 
and bring it to the servants who really need to hear this. And what he's saying to you guys is, I'll tell you what, you guys do what I asked you to do. You get to the other side, and I'm the one, Jesus says, who is going to, who's going to sit alongside you, and when you are served up there, I'm going to be the one who is serving you. I'm the one who's going to serve you. Your work is so important. They can't get this without you guys. And that's what he's saying. The reason why this is, this is written, this letter, I think, and when he talks about jars of clay, I think he's talking to Jewish Christians. And being God's messengers to channel the good news, they were subject to greater accountability. It would be a mistake. Like this is kind of one of the main things I want to say. It would be a mistake to put the burden put on the shoulders of these stewards on the shoulders of servants. Does God expect you to do and does he hold you responsible to do what he's held them responsible for? Are you as responsible as them? The answer is no. You're not stewards. God chose you guys, you guys to be stewards. You guys. Yeah, God's from the south. You know, you guys. He's, a, he's Italian. Um... There are some hard sayings in the Bible that feel weighty. Most often, those hard sayings are for the shoulders of stewards and the shoulders of shepherds, not for the shoulders of sheep and the shoulders of servants. That's not what he does. Um, Paul is especially, he wasn't treated in a glorious manner and this is being used as an indictment against him. People are looking at Paul and saying, you look like 20 miles of bad road. You know, how God would never... Well, there's a question, isn't it? If God chooses somebody to speak through, surely he will treat them in a special way, won't he? Surely. He will remove him from harm, won't he? Wouldn't he make that servant look glorious? Look shiny? Like a golden vessel that individuals would say, ooh. God would never put the treasure in a vessel and then subject that vessel to ordinary treatment, would he? And that's why they're blowing Paul up. Paul, you look like 20 miles of bad road. Of course God's not speaking with you. And you know what Paul's saying? The harsh treatment proves that God is speaking through me. Because when God entrusts the message to a servant, that message, that messenger, that steward, goes through some hard things to deliver a precious commodity to those who need it. That's what Paul is saying. Um, Paul is saying that those to and through whom God channels the gospel will not look like glorious containers. Look at verse 13. Since we have that same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus 
and present us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake. So as the grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know why Paul can be honest? What it says, I believe and so I spoke. That statement is from a psalm. And what it says in Psalm 116, what he said is, the psalmist, he was exposed to very difficult things. He says, all men are liars. He's, his life does not look like a really wonderful experience. And he says, I believe, therefore I said, I am greatly afflicted. And the psalmist then, he's able to say, I am greatly afflicted, not because God was not working in his life, but because he was. And that's the thing that, that Paul mentions here. He quotes from this psalm, and he talks about being afflicted because he understands that, again, I'll point to you guys, but there is going to be momentary discomfort. You are not going to have your best life now. You're going to live with people who are not going to be your best friends. You're going to pour out your life for them. And you are going to come to the end of your life, and you're going to wonder if I made a mistake, maybe. But you're going to keep on going. And what Paul understands, well, it's what he says. He talks about being afflicted because he believed God will bring us with you into his presence. Here's what it's saying. What Paul understood, when he, on behalf of us, writes to you, what he's saying, God will bring us with you into his presence. Here's what I think Paul's saying. When Jesus comes back, I think of this and just, I think this is what's going to happen. I think we're going to be called, those of us who have come into a relationship with Christ, and for all of us, at some level, it was generations past, we owe our inclusion into eternity to them. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to be summoned those of us who have given our hearts to Christ, and you guys are going to be summoned. And Jesus is going to look at you, representing those who have been called out, and say, I want you to look at something. I want you to look over there. All these individuals who are experiencing eternal existence because of you. And you know what Jesus is going to say? Well done. Well done. You know what we're going to do? We're going to find them. And we're going to go, Jeez. Gosh, thanks. I would never have known if it wasn't for you. We tend to believe that um, God is done with the Jews. 
God never chooses people and just and then just throws them away. Never does. By the way, you guys in the south, you guys in the middle, you'll get your time. You'll get your time. That's what's going to happen. When the time of the Gentiles is over, and God closes the door this way, he's going to turn back to you. And what you're going to understand is something you never understood before. This was all part of God's plan. We weren't all supposed to believe, because if we all believed, they never would have went over there. God, God, you know what he was doing? God was reaching, using us to bless. Well, it's what he said to Abraham. Every nation on the earth we blessed through us, and that's what happened. And, and now what God's going to do, he's going to open your eyes, and you're going to understand that Jesus is your king. He was the king of the Jews, right? And he loves everyone, but he served you guys. And, and then you're going to come to see. It's going to happen. We don't know how it works. I'll tell you what, though. You're really going to like it. <laughs> and you look at the history and how much you were persecuted, and you look at them and you'll say, it hasn't been real fun being a jar of clay, but I'll tell you what. I'm going to be able to go through eternity, not only experience eternity myself, but looking at all these individuals over here. What's the best thing? What's better than being in heaven? What's better than being in heaven? Seeing that all these individuals are in heaven because of what you did while you were on earth. I think that's what he talks about. Uh, application. Um, God is really wise. We can't always understand what he's doing. But at the end, when God's purposes unfold, we're going to go. He is so kind and powerful and merciful. We don't always understand. On this side of it, there is, there are some verses that, that might trip us up. They feel difficult. Again, I want to say, and we can talk about it more so. If you have some specific questions afterwards, I might hang around. This is a really interesting teaching. It's, it's important. It might be a little bit confusing, but we'll talk about this every once in a while. God has not washed his hands of the Jews. And again, again, we talk about it from time to time. You don't hear it a lot. This passage, it ends up getting applied to Christians in general. Christians in general are jars of clay. And is that true? Well, in a way it is. Is it true to the same degree that it was true of Galilean Jewish Christians? No. No. They really were treated as jars of clay. And it feels important because then it's, it puts this passage in a different it gives you a different picture, doesn't it, of what was happening here. It's important. Uh, Brett, come on up. We're going to sing a closing song. Father, thank you for the plan of salvation. It is so multifaceted. It is so wise. We'll be able to look at it in hindsight when we get there and marvel 
and rejoice that we get to spend eternity with someone like you. Um, thank you for how you are, your purposes are unfolding. Those to and through whom you reveal yourself oftentimes don't have their, they don't have their best life now. You have to look forward to the other side. That applies to all of us. Give us perseverance and encouragement. Our lives are not what they might, we would might want them to be. But, and we think as well of your firstborn, those who have experienced shame, humiliation, have been called Christ killers, perceived as being the... And they are loved by you. And to and through them, you reach out to us. They are jars of clay. I look forward. I look forward. It's going to be amazing when you open their eyes to who you are. And they will weep for the one that they have crucified. But they'll see at that point. Thank you that when you bring a son or daughter into your family, you do not reject them. In Jesus' name, amen.